The limit of police budget X as X approaches infinity is 30%. This week, council decided on the police funding formula. Rather quickly, actually. I was live Xing and have all my Xs ready to share with you. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 230, where we are in the midst of Fringe. I am dashing off to record this at home in between a slew of shows that I'm seeing today on Thursday, August 24th. Got to make the most of that frequent Fringer pass you got, I guess. I've actually already burned through my entire frequent Fringer pass and now paying regular price for all the shows that I'm seeing. But yes, it was valuable. Okay, well, we might be a bit late in the game for this, but there's still a few days of Fringe left, so... Any micro-reviews you want to share with our audience? Things they should either check out or very much avoid? I have only seen one show that is actively bad so far, which, based on previous years, this is an astoundingly good fringe in terms of show quality. I'm not going to name and shame that show because, you know, it's infrequent enough that you're probably not going to hit it. I will give a couple shout-outs, though, to, first of all, Krampus, the new musical put on by Straight Edge Theatre. Absolutely far and away the standout of my fringe this year. Go see that show if there's a showing available. You will not regret it. It doesn't matter if you hate musicals and Christmas. Go see it. (laughs) Christmas in August is not my favorite, but okay. Sounds good. There's there's a ton of good shows, but uh, in terms of other interesting shows, Old-ish, which is a show, it's a stand-up comedy routine by an 81-year-old lady. It's all ostensibly about death, dying, and aging. She is very funny, very apt. And it was really cool because she talked about how, you know, her memory was going, how she was really aging. And there were a couple times in the show where she paused and said, line. And her husband in the front row prompted her with a line. And she's Mm -hmm. like, oh, yep. And she was back on it for another 20 minutes. But I thought it was really fascinating that you got that insight about the stuff she was talking to the show during the show. She was spry. She was exciting. She had great control of the stage. So that's a recommend if someone can go. Uh, Finally, I will say there is a show called The Method Pricks which is on at the grindstone. And this show is not for the faint of heart. This is a very fringy show. It has intense audience participation and the entire show relies on absurdity, audience participation and escalation and further <laughs> escalation. So, if you want an absolutely chaotic one of a kind show, go see that one, but be forewarned. It's not for the faint of heart. Right. You got to be prepared before you go to that show. Okay. How many more shows to go? Innumerable, Mac. It's the nature of fringe is you show up on the fringe grounds and if ours pitches you on something, you go to it. And that's that's the best way to experience fringe. I predict by the end of it, I'll have hit around 28 shows though. It's pretty impressive. I used to love standing in line, getting the flyers from people. Normally I hate when people hand me things, but at fringe, I make an exception. Well, and they don't do flyers basically ever at Fringe anymore. It is a a verbal pitch while they're wearing their thing. So looks like the uh, single-use plastic bylaw got to Fringers too. (laughs) But of course, we are not here to do a podcast episode all about Fringe. You'll notice that the rapid fire segment is not here. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. Don't worry, your jokes are still coming. But before we get to all the jokes, we got to get to the meat of this episode. And Mac, you were in council chambers yesterday on Wednesday while council... I'm going to say debated this, but I use that word loosely. The funding formula got passed basically without revisions. 
Yes, this was the long-awaited funding formula debate. Last fall, council approved the funding formula for 2023 for just one year, and then we knew we were supposed to have this meeting again, this debate again about what to do for the remaining three years of the city's operational budget. It was supposed to come back earlier in the year and then earlier in the summer, and it got delayed a few times. It finally happened basically the second day that council's back from their summer break. And as you said, and perhaps as unsurprising to all of our listeners, the funding formula was passed in a nine to four vote uh, with councillors Jans, Rutherford, Salvador, and Stevenson opposed. It's not exactly the same formula as we've had in the past. There were some changes that administration had proposed, but for all intents and purposes, it's the same police funding formula we know and love. I guess when uh, we start to see the numbers change over the next few years, we'll see if that's actually the case. And I don't actually love the funding formula, but you know, um, that's what people say. So that's what happened. Nine to four vote. It took all day, which is not perhaps the best use of anyone's time. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. But yes, funding formula now in place for at least the next three years. Well, and I think it's interesting to say it's not quite the same as the old funding formula, but exactly why is it different? I think you'd be hard pressed to explain precisely. There's a bunch of pieces of the formula, components and numbers, all of which are multiplied by internal factors. And I think the result of which is next year, when next year rolls around, before budget time, we won't be able to predict what the funding formula will say the police budget will be. We will have to rely on administrative experts to say, based on the number crunching and our internal metrics from which we've excluded certain items, as we've said we would have, this is our predicted police funding format, which, you know, for something that's ostensibly supposed to be math, supposed to be obvious, seems like a very, very opaque way to fund the police. There was a section in the meeting where administration got to present their proposal for this funding formula, the changes that they made, what each of the components are. They ran through a, a sample calculation. So Stacey Padbury, the city's chief financial officer, went through a sample calculation. And it was that point in the meeting that you could see most of council's eyes just glaze over. You know, they, <laughs> they didn't actually care to understand the calculation, or perhaps that's unfair. Maybe it's just too complicated to understand in a situation like that. And it wasn't really what they were debating yesterday, uh, uh, this week anyway, what they were actually, you know, talking about was really the political side of should we have a funding formula at all, much less interesting and pertinent to the conversation, I think was how do we actually calculate it, even though, you know, that should be pretty important when we're trying to determine the mechanism for how much money to give the police. Well, certainly the Edmonton Police Commission thought council was too stupid to engage with this concept. And we'll get to that later on in the episode. But I think first, let's get an overview what is the end result of this funding formula? What's going to change? I think the reason that this funding formula passed as relatively easily as it did is that everybody on council is pretty afraid of service packages. The alternative to having this funding formula is that we go back to a situation where the police bring service packages forward at budget time, like all the other city departments, and they get debated and talked about and prioritized and voted up or down, you know, just like funding for pools or funding for transit or any of the other things that the city has to put money into. And that's a pretty difficult conversation to have. And I think going into the fall budget, especially right away in a couple of months here, Councillors do not want to be in a public meeting voting no against certain packages that the police say they need in order to increase public safety. So when you get right down to it, 
I think the reason we're going to have this funding formula for the next three years is that everybody's afraid of service packages. That doesn't mean that we're not going to see service packages, and we'll explain why in a minute, but the driving factor, I think, behind why so many members of council, despite questions about the formula and maybe previous statements they had made about whether or not we should have a formula, that you know, that's why they went ahead with it is because there's it's a really difficult political conversation to have. I mentioned this ha- this happened two days after they got back from their summer break. I think there might also have been some fatigue here. I think people have been feeling like all we talk about is police. You know, maybe it was just like, well, if we f- just to give them the formula, we can be done with it. And, you know, they won't come back to us anymore. And there was one moment in the meeting, Troy, that really stood out to me as illustrative of that. And it's when the mayor asked both the police service and the police commission, whether approving the funding formula and giving them the funding that they are asking for, this sort of consistent funding over the next three years, whether that would positively impact what Edmontonians experience. Would we see more boots on the ground and would Edmontonians feel safer? And as soon as the police commission chair, Eric Antman, said yes, and the chief administrative officer of the police service, uh, Justin Kreichler, said yes, you know, I think that the tone of the meeting sort of changed a little bit, or at least the sort of direction the meeting was going changed a little bit. Right there, the mayor had political cover, right? Now he can say, you said when we approved this funding formula that we would see results. And now if we don't see results, he can point the finger, right? And of course, the police and the police commission, I think they win here too, because the police service gets the money they're looking for. The commission kind of gets credit maybe for helping to broker this, but can also come back and say, well... It's much more nuanced than a simple yes. I mean, yes, you gave us the formula, but we face all of these other challenges, things that we would expect, right? And administration, I think, wins here because they were really looking for something that they could count as justifiable. Anytime a counselor asked a question about one of the components of the formula and why it's this and not that, administration's response was basically, we need to be able to justify why we did this. Not what is the best mechanism here or the best factor or what makes the most logical sense or what drives to the right outcome, but we just need to be able to cover our own butts here when when asked about how this calculation happens. So all of those folks won, and I think the people who didn't win are the rest of us, Edmontonians, who <laughs> you know I don't know are going to be exceptionally well served by this funding formula or maybe any better served by the funding formula than the alternative, which I suppose would have been service packages. It's also notable that there are other... I won't call them losers in this scenario, but there is some political fallout for three members of Edmonton City Council who, in the Taproot survey, when they were running for election, indicated that they wanted police funding either frozen or reduced and have now voted to increase police funding consistently over several years with a guarantee. And those were councillors Joanne Wright, Karen Tang, and Mayor Amarjeet Sohi. Now, for Joanne Wright and Karen Tang, they're both new to the council table. So, you know, Perhaps they said aspirational things as a candidate that, you know, once the police commission got to them, they have learned more and don't believe it anymore. But for Mayor Sohi, he is a longtime counselor. He was an MP. He was a cabinet minister. The idea of policing in a city shouldn't be new to him. So I thought it was very interesting to see this about face from Mayor Sohi on police funding. And I do think that you're right that this is a political football, a way to put the blame on someone else to, you know, 
stop taking heat for police issues. But it is something we've seen a lot from Mayor Sohi during his term, which is a sort of broad campaigning where he promises a lot, but tends to acquiesce and compromise far more than I think I would personally like. Yeah, the media asked him about this after the meeting because he asked several times for this assurance that, you know, we approve the funding formula, we're going to see results. We approve the funding formula, you're going to be able to report back to us that it's having an impact. And he, of course, was not a fan of the funding formula probably a year ago. He was questioning whether we should have a funding formula. He was one of the most vocal critics of the way the formula was constructed with things like salary settlements excluded and, and that sort of thing. And he told the media that he came around to the idea for two main reasons. One is the input that he's hearing from Edmontonians. All of the councillors cited this. Their inboxes are full of people talking about how unsafe they feel and that something needs to be done and that they don't feel that council's taking public safety seriously enough. So that's one of the things that I think weighed on the mayor as well as the rest of council. The other thing so he mentioned, though, is that council went in a different direction. And so to your point about compromise, you know, he felt like even if he didn't want the funding formula, the majority of council did. And he wanted to support that direction, the, the sort of will of council. And so it kind of made him rethink his position and move over to the, the funding formula side. He didn't ask very many critical questions during the meetings this week about the formula, though. It really was about that political cover. We didn't hear back from Karen Tang, but you did uh, reach out to her and also to Councillor Wright. And we did hear back from Councillor Wright for her reasoning. So the tenor of my question was not so much why did you vote for this, because we can hear any number of talking points from the police or in their mm -hmm. closing arguments. It's more, you promised one thing and now are doing something entirely different. What new specific pieces of information do you have that you didn't have before? Because of course, if you have no new information, then you're lying to your constituents. Right. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They could have learned new things. And Joanne Wright, to her credit, you know, we don't always agree with her decisions on this podcast, but she is always forthcoming and coming to the table in good faith. And she responded very quickly with what I thought was a pretty decent response. She said, as a candidate, I did not have access to the analysis and recommendations of our administration and the EPC. In representing a developing area with a rapid population growth, I now hear from constituents that they do not see enforcement in their neighborhoods related to rising crime and traffic injuries. She goes on to say that collective bargaining agreements with the EPA, EPSOA, and CSU 52 had not been settled prior to the election. And that was a material component in her decision because, of course, you know, salary settlements pretty drastically change the entire funding discussion. You know, if they're dealing with uh, service packages, as you said, plus also still being responsible for salary settlements, it's very possible that the funding formula is actually the best way to constrain police funding in this political environment. Yeah, I was glad that she told us that. She was one of the few counselors who did ask some pretty straightforward, hard-hitting questions during the debate, and including about the unions and who is the right organization to bear the risk on that. The police commission thinks it should be the city. Council doesn't necessarily think it should be them, for example. Um, she also asked some questions about service packages and things. So I appreciate that she you know, backed up her assertions here with some actual you know, questions. There's four other counselors we should mention quickly who might seem like losers in this whole thing, but are actually <laughs> probably winners as well. And that is the four that voted against it. So counselors Jans, Rutherford, Salvador, and Stevenson. Councilor Rutherford was by far the most 
impassioned speaker of the day and I think brought some really important perspective on how problematic this whole police political funding debate is. As she's been at other police funding conversations, quite critical but fair, I think. Councillor Jans was surprisingly quiet throughout the meeting. He asked a few questions early in the morning and then basically did not speak again, including no closing remarks when they went to vote on the issue. Councillor Salvador had smart questions uh, and chimed in from time to time. And Councillor Stevenson, again, you know, she's on the police commission. I appreciate she's in a difficult position here. Seemed to ask some questions and make some statements that suggested she was not in favor of the funding formula, the way that it's constructed. And then in her closing remarks, made it sound like she was going to vote in favor of it and then voted against it. So it was a bit hard to pin her down during the day. And I say all four of them are probably winners here, too, because even though the vote didn't go their way, for at least Jans and Rutherford and probably Salvador and to some extent Stevenson, to be able to say that they voted against the funding formula is still a win, right? That's now on the record. I thought Councillor Salvador was actually quite enlightening when you took her questions and her through line through the discussion and then looked at the amendments or lack of amendments and then the vote. Throughout the debate, Councilor Salvador was hitting on a specific point. In the funding formula, there were several pieces that were broken out. So, you know, there was the idea that if there's a change in provincial legislation, we'd have to increase police funding. And there's a whole slew of exceptions. And then it has this sort of like catch-all at the bottom. New capital in the city of Edmonton can cause an increase in operating funding. Extraneous to the formula. And she bumped on that and she's like, well, what is that? Is a new LRT line new capital? Do we get service package for that? Is changing an ASP something? That all seems like regular growth for me, which is based in the formula. And she wasn't quite able to get a solid answer from basically anyone in the room. And in fact, there were points where the service and EPC gave an answer. And then Andre Korwald from the city said, you know, actually, I don't think I agree with that. (laughs) Uh, Specifically, Valley Line, the service said, well, you know, maybe a train could be. And Korwald said, no, no, a train wouldn't be. That of course, in the counselor's chair, wouldn't give me confidence that I was getting the best advice about what this clause actually means. Yeah, I think this is a really good point. And this this gets back to service packages, right? So what I said, I think is true. They voted for this because they really want to avoid service packages. But I'm not confident and I doubt most of council's confident that we're going to go forward without service packages. So the police commission chair, Eric Antman, said very clearly, we have no plans to bring you a service package. There's there's none in the works. We don't anticipate bringing any service packages. And in fact, when asked during the meeting whether or not the police commission would be happy to entertain an amendment, as you say, to remove that part of the funding formula so they wouldn't have the ability to bring service packages, Antman said he would. He said the commission would be fine with that. And you could feel the room kind of constrict when he said that. Yeah. And then Councillor Salvador directed the question to Justin Streichler, the, the chief administrative officer of the police service. And he said, well, no, the police service would like to retain the option to bring a service package in sort of extreme or circumstances or something like that. And and I appreciate that Councillor Salvador in that moment was probably in information gathering mode, but really it does not matter what the police service thinks about this because the money happens between council and the commission right? And if the commission says we're good with that, that should have been good enough for the counselor. And I would have rather not heard from Kreikler on that issue. The police service opinion, of course, is going to be we want the option to get money in any way that we can. It doesn't mean that it should materially change 
you know, their approach. You know, you were able to piece that together that, well, okay, the most logical course of action here is to make an amendment to remove this option because from a governance structure, absolutely, everyone around the governance table has said, there's no reason to keep this around. And yet, Councillor Salvador didn't when even highlighting in her closing statements that this was of particular consternation to her. Yeah, several councillors brought this up, right? The several councillors mentioned this throughout, that service packages are a concern for them. And not a single one of them proposed an amendment about that line about uh, new capital. And I think based on what you said about, you know, Jans being uncharacteristically quiet, about there not being very lively debate about this, I think this item was fully hallway tracked, right? I think when people showed up in the room, they had a pretty good understanding of what was going to happen that day. And there was an information gathering exercise, but there wasn't a bunch of debate about to happen. And I think there was an understanding by council that any amendment to this funding formula could be perceived as a decrease, right? If the advantage of doing this is passing the political football, we've given the EPS and the EPC everything that they want. If we take anything away, well, suddenly we've taken part of that golden football back. And I think that is why we saw absolutely no amendments, absolutely no changes to something that I'm sure many around the table wanted changed simply because this is a political exercise to pass the buck to someone else. I think that's right. And administration, you know, also followed that line of thought. The reason there's a 30% cap inside this ratio is because administration didn't want to be seen as the ones that proposed a cut to the police funding. So just very quickly, one of the features of this funding formula is that police funding cannot exceed 30% of the city's civic operations budget. So whatever we spend on transit, road clearing, all that kind of stuff, it's about $1.7 billion a year. Police funding cannot exceed 30% of that. Why 30%? Because that's roughly what it was in 2022 when administration (laughs) decided that this was going to be the way that they would try to constrain funding. That is, by their own admission, the highest percentage in the last decade at least. It's never been close to 30% or it hasn't been as high as 30% in the past. So instead of an average or trying to take into consideration or account for, you know, the variation throughout those budget cycles, they just went with the highest amount so that they wouldn't be seen to be reducing police funding right off the bat with this funding formula. I think an interesting side effect of this 30% cap, which, you know, is ostensibly to stop infinite growth of police budgets beyond our capacity to spend as a city. Or at least infinite growth more quickly than the public service. For sure. Yeah. But I think an interesting side effect of this is anyone with half a brain and a calculator can see that this guarantees that police funding will be exactly 30% of civic budgets for right. the foreseeable future. Yeah. Because uh, salary settlements, while the city is responsible for them, they get baked into the next year's base budget. We have just finished a salary settlement for a portion of the EPS back to, I think, 2021. There are still departments within the EPS that are ongoing salary settlements for the past three years. It is not unreasonable that when the next couple years they will get salary settlements that will kick the EPS budget way above that 30% threshold, which means it will get capped at 30%, which means, you know, credit to city council, they've probably found a way to freeze the police budget for the next few years after, you know, increasing it massively. Yeah, this is this is pending what happens with OP12 and how much they grow the city's uh, operational budget. And Administration Andre Corbold actually said something during the meeting that I thought was pretty interesting, which is, you know, how do you how do you calculate that or what is the the effect of this in the future? And it's like, well, 
if you as a council decided we were going to exit one of these lines of business, we would probably have to revisit this. So let's say, for <laughs> argument's sake, council decides they're going to completely privatize transit. That is now not a line item in that budget. That $1.7 billion is now $1.3. That's not going to magically make the police budget you know, 30% of that smaller number. They're, they're going to find a way to keep it, you know, at roughly that level and going at that level. I want to go back to something you said earlier, Troy, about the hallway thing. I would like to believe that this was, you know, handled in the hallway. This is a, this is a thing that happens at City Hall, at least prior to the pandemic, where counselors would bump into each other. They'd figure it out in the hallway and then they get into the meeting, the decision's made, and they're just doing the the public, you know, vote sort of, sort of thing. But I don't actually think that happened here. It's a really good contrast to me with the other item that was at council this week about this national urban park that we're proposing for the Edmonton River Valley. We want to make this a national urban park under the federal program. It allows us to access funding and all of this. We wrote a story in 2021, and the headline there was Edmonton to move forward with exploring a potential national urban park. And then the story that was written this week was proposed national park in Edmonton's River Valley moving to planning phase. Like this thing has been in the works for years. Another example that came up on Twitter was the zoning bylaw. How many times has the zoning bylaw come to council before that thing is finally approved and we're not even there yet? Police funding formula. This is the most significant part of our budget. And it did not come to council except for this one meeting in August and everything happens in that one meeting. Councillors did have questions about why this number and not that number, why this percentage and not that one. Why didn't any of those things happen sooner? Why didn't administration seek council's approval along the way, get their input along the way like they do with all of these other issues? I don't think this was actually hallway worked at all. I think this was blinders on until we get to the meeting foregone conclusion. It's too much trouble to try and make a whole bunch of amendments and stuff now. Even during the meeting, it was pretty clear the mayor wanted this done and dusted by five o'clock. They weren't entertaining the notion that this would get moved to another day or or postponed or, or referred back or anything. Like none of that seemed to be on the table. It was like, how do we get this done in this one eight hour meeting? Well, and also when you look at the big city council events, you know, the things that are highlighted as full of debate, they're typically public hearings that have 90 people show up and speak. The zoning bylaw checkpoint was one of those. And I, yeah. in fact, showed up to that. Where were the public speakers on this? Where were the public speakers on the largest line item in the city of Edmonton budget? How does this process pass the smell test? Yeah, it doesn't to me at all. And, you know, especially given the amount that uh, both council and the commission talked about reflecting the needs of Edmontonians, it's pretty shocking how little input there was from Edmontonians on this issue. And, you know, another reason that I'm not sure this was worked behind the scenes is the report that the police commission itself uh, commissioned <laughs> on this. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier. The commission thought, okay, this is the funding formula that administration's proposing. We should get an external review of this. And so they engaged PricewaterhouseCoopers to do a review of this. Sounds sensible enough, sure. except that all that was reported to council and that was available to the public in the meeting was the executive summary of this report. And Councillor Rutherford in particular was asking, why can't we see the full report? Like, I need to understand what they mean when they made this comment about service packages, for example. And Matthew Barker, who's the executive director of the police commission, basically responded that, the report is too complex and technical for you to understand. Not in those words, but that was essentially what he said. And, and she very quickly retorted and said, well, you know, zoning bylaw is very complicated and we read those kinds of reports 
all the time. But you, you know, you mentioned it earlier, like it just seemed like the commission had zero respect for the intelligence of, of counsel on this issue. Of note, though, Councillor Rutherford did make a motion to get that report. And in the room, they said it'll be posted publicly probably by end of day. So if it's not out by the time you're listening to this, it's probably out and readable. And counselors will be feeling stupid in one of two ways. They'll either be feeling stupid because they actually don't understand the report and turns out they were right. Uh, this is too complex for my wee baby counselor brain to understand. Or they'll be feeling stupid and shameful because they've realized, oh, my colleagues at the EPC think I am this dumb that I cannot read this very simple report. Either way, there's not going to be good feels when they read that report that was kept secret from them. And, you know, of course you can make it available now. What's the point of reading the report now? Yeah, we've already voted and passed the thing. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, we've harped on this process a little bit, but there was a point where counselors were asking questions, and I think there was material new information that was learned in this meeting. There was a very small amount of information that was learned in this meeting, yes. One of the key things that stood out to me is the police commission and police service both talked about 150 officers per year being the target for how many they're going to hire. So they talked about having three recruiting classes of 50 people. Their recruiting classes used to be smaller. And they had made a big deal in the past. I'd reported on this previously for Taproot that they had moved from three to four recruiting classes per year. I understand now from their comments that they've gotten rid of the fourth one, but made all three of them bigger. So anyway, the target is 150 officers per year. That's not all new officers. That is new as well as replacements for officers that leave the force. In 2022, 97 officers left the Edmonton Police Service. It was a pretty high number, the highest in well over a decade. On average, it's about 60 officers that leave the service every year for various reasons, retirements, or they go to other services or, or whatever. So 450 officers over the next three years, minus you know whatever placement numbers we need, that's what we'll end up with as a result of this funding formula. There's kind of two questions that I had about that that sadly didn't really get asked during the meeting. One is whether or not that is enough. Like, is that actually what we need to materially change things when it comes to public safety or the perception of public safety? I don't know. And it wasn't clear in the meeting that that's the case. It's not like the police commission or the police service came to the table saying, we need enough funding to make sure we have X number of officers so we can deploy them in these ways. You know, that was not the line of thinking there. The second thing is, are they actually going to be able to recruit that many officers? Because they've had a really hard time recruiting people in recent years for various reasons. Chief McPhee talks about how it's the social media people who are so mean to police that make it an unappealing profession. But there's lots of other factors as well. So actually filling those numbers and replacing all of those officers over the three years might be a tall order. And we might not actually see that money go into officers at the end of the day. I think the 150 number was also very interesting because like you said, Jans was not super active during this meeting, but this 150 number came from a question that yeah. Councillor Michael Jans had asked. Yes. And the question, which I thought was very important and I don't think got an answer, was okay, if we are passing this funding formula, how many additional officers does this get? And the response from the police service is that we have three recruiting classes of 50 each for 150 officers per year. But it sounds like if this funding formula was not passed, they have three recruiting classes of 50 officers each for a total of 150 officers a year. Yeah. Jans tried very hard to get an answer to the question of 
how many new officers are you getting as a result of passing this funding formula versus if we don't pass this funding formula, you know, how many new boots do we lose? And to the best of my understanding, based on the answers, passing this funding formula gets us zero new police hires in the EPS because they had only ever planned to recruit 150. And that remains the plan. Now, maybe this is an incorrect assertion, but this is not incorrect based on anything the EPS told the public or council at the meeting when this funding was approved. I think it's true to say there's no evidence to suggest that the number is any higher than zero. Yes. That's galling to me because, like you said, you know, the political cover was this promise from the commission and the service to Mayor Amarjeet Sohi that Edmontonians would see more boots on the ground as the result of passing this funding formula. But in order to have more boots on the ground, you need more people inside those boots. And I have seen no evidence that what we passed on Wednesday is going to get more boots in the service. The police talked about some of the other things they've done as well. So they mentioned a couple of things in particular, changing the number of squad units and opening the collision reporting centers to free up frontline officers. They also, interestingly, talked about how they've taken a portion of the Edmonton police headquarters downtown and turned it into like an integrated health center. They talked about a place where, you know, people dealing with addictions or whatever can go, which ostensibly to them allows them to free up uh, our officers for frontline work as well. Seems like a weird assertion to me, but that was one of the things they said. So they said it's not just the number of officers, it's all of these other things we're doing as well. The chair of the police commission kept talking about how the funding formula would allow them predictable, consistent funding, as we always hear, but also to be more innovative and that innovation happens when they have this reliable funding. Now, I don't know about you, Troy, but I thought the proverb was that necessity is the mother of all invention, <laughs> not riches and abundance is the mother of all invention. So I'm not really sure what we're going to see in terms of innovation when the police get everything they ask for and more. In fact, I think we'd see a more innovative police force if we had constrained their funding in some way, but still task them with tackling these important outcomes that help promote public safety in our community. But that wasn't really part of the conversation on Wednesday, as you say. I think one other big piece that I wanted to hit on, because it was hit very frequently during the meeting, was a discussion around net operating versus expenditures. This was something that was hugely discussed and a point of consternation for both uh, Ann Stevenson and I believe Aaron Rutherford all throughout the meeting. What exactly was going on there, Mac? So the previous funding formula used the net operating amount as the sort of figure that we multiply these factors by. So net operating is whatever revenue you have coming in minus whatever expenses you have, the difference between those two numbers is what you need to get from the tax levy in order to support your operations, right? So the police spend more than they bring in in terms of revenue, and so the difference is covered through taxes. This new formula uses the expenditure number. So what is the size of the police budget? What do they spend as the factor that they multiply these other factors by, the number they multiply these other factors by? And counselors were asking questions about that because what does that mean, for example, if the police get some funding from the province for 50 officers? Now their expenditure budget is higher. Uh, so doesn't that boost the size of the funding formula amount that gets calculated? And administration did not give any indication about how they would do this, but they said that that wouldn't be included. They would find a way to take that provincial funding out of the formula. And if the province then later pulled funding for these officers, they wouldn't try to make it up, which seemed 
really problematic to a lot of the folks around council table as well. Like, so we're going to not only not increase funding for provincial funding, but when they take it away, we're not, we're just going to lose those officers. Like that doesn't seem like something we actually would want. So there was all this discussion about whether or not that was the right figure to use or not, and how that would impact, you know, the calculations at the end of the day. So certainly there's the multiplying factor from the EPS budget. You know, the EPS has an expenditure budget, and then there's multiple factors that get multiplied in the funding formula. But the formula is, you know, has two sides to it. There's also the multiplication from the city side to get to that 30%. Yeah, that's right. And this did come up, you know, for example, why don't we use net operating to calculate that? Why is it the expenditure budget? And the, the answer from administration is that it's actually pretty tricky to calculate what that should be given the variation in, you know, uh, revenue lines for all those different services in the city. So we don't earn any revenue for street clearing, for example. It's straight up expenditure. But we do collect fares for transit and fees for recreation centers and things like that. So if we use net operating, it makes that complication a lot trickier to do to figure out what is the contribution of each of these civic services to the total amount that we're going to try and cap police at. Whereas expenditures does make the calculation simpler and does mean, you know, if we did go and change the way that we collect fares for transit, if we made transit free or we, you know, increased our targets or lowered our prices or whatever, it doesn't materially impact how much we're spending on transit, at least not right away. And so that number is a little bit more stable which I think is one of the things that administration was driving toward here, is how can we get a more stable number, something that's more predictable for the police and also for, for, for council. One other thing about the numbers that I should point out that came up, you, if, you, if you look online or if you listen to the meeting, there's a couple of other things that got mentioned quite a bit, and Councillor Jans brought these up. The police spend about 82% of their budget on personnel, and so that is broken out in the formula so that we can multiply these factors by just personnel. And of the personnel, about two-thirds of that is for officers, like sworn officers. And so Council Jans pointed out that, you know, for every dollar we spend on police, about 33 cents of it actually goes to officers who might be boots on the ground. And that wasn't disputed by the folks in during the meeting. And that 82% number did come up quite a number of times. So that was also an interesting thing you might hear when you're thinking about numbers and, and, uh, and, and where the money is all going. So... Council maybe begrudgingly, maybe happily passed this funding formula, but uh, there was some conversation about subsequent motions and notices of motion and what council is doing next. So what's coming up here? Well, Councillor uh, Stevenson did say she was going to make a subsequent. As I mentioned, they seem pretty keen to get out of there by the time of the meeting ended. So that was going to come at a future meeting. So we don't know exactly what that will look like. But there will be some subsequent motions probably coming about this, probably more looking for information than anything. There were some questions during the meeting about an audit and whether or not the police commission would be open to having the city auditor look at the police books so that the public can feel greater confidence that they're spending their money wisely and efficiently. And uh, Chair Ampman said that there's a mechanism for this and they're open to it. I thought it was pretty interesting that council went on this line of questioning at all, given that council shelved a proposed audit just last year. So it seemed like we were going to get this. And then they, in a private meeting, decided, no, we're not going to. So why bring it up now? That was a bit strange. And then there's just two other accountability things that we anticipate happening here. So one is that the police commission already has to report annually to city council. The mayor, in his comments, seemed to indicate that that's sufficient. And also this week, you know, council decided that they didn't want to have monthly updates on transit safety in the downtown core. They wanted to make those less frequent. 
I'm not sure, less frequent updates on what is probably the most important top of mind issue for Edmontonians right now is the way I'd approach it, but that's what council's <laughs> doing. And then lastly, the commission was asked several times how they'll measure success here. This money that we've approved, this funding formula you say is going to be more innovative. It's going to allow you to do the things that need to be done to boost public safety. How are you going to do that? And the response essentially was that they do an annual perception survey. And that's that's it. That's good enough. Love it. One other thing that, you know, may be coming is Councillor Andrew Knack had indicated that what he wanted to see with this funding formula was a community safety and well-being funding formula rather than a police funding formula to, you know, encapsulate all the aspects of community safety and well-being. I thought this was exceptionally interesting because of how good it sounds when you say it in a public meeting and how completely absurd on its face and ridiculous the entire concept is. Because we heard in the meeting, counselors asked, well, why don't we have a library funding formula? Why don't we have a transit funding formula? And Andre Corbald said, well, you know, if you have a funding formula for every organization in your city, then you can no longer make budgetary decisions, right? No flexibility. Yeah, exactly. One might ask, okay, well, then why is the police the exception? Um, Because it is. Well, the answer in the meeting is that the governance model is different. Because of the Police Act and the Police Commission, you know, Corbold and others feel that it's appropriate in this case where it's not in those other cases. I'm not sure that I agree with that, but that's ostensibly the reason. Sure. So we heard that, you know, we can't have funding formulas for all these organizations. Andrew Nack had taken criticism for acquiescing and passing this funding formula after, you know, railing about these things. And he showed up to a blog post and said, no, 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 what I want is a community safety and well-being funding formula. And, you know, I think transit is community safety and well-being. I think the library provides community and safety and well-being. And he goes on to list basically every city (laughs) department (laughs) that he wants to see included in the funding formula. This is the kind of flowery language that I think some counselors can use to escape accountability for the decisions they make, because what he's proposing is not going to work. It is completely absurd, and we all kind of know it. But he's going to investigate it, and then he's going to say, ah, well, turns out that didn't work out. So his consternation in his closing comments about, "Mm, I'm voting for this, but I'd like to see this community safety and well-being funding formula, you know, kind of becomes irrelevant when we all know, well, that's not going to happen. You've just voted for the funding formula. That's all it's ever going to be. I thought that was what we saw from a lot of counsel during this debate was there was a lot of very harsh firm language. And other than the four that voted against it, there was no real action taken to do anything other than the status quo, which is what this was. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, as much as I would like to see that idea explored, I think not all of those services, but certainly certain programs within those could be part of a community safety and well-being funding formula. That's sort of an interesting idea. But this process was never going to result in that, especially as you say now that that's what they voted for. You asked what else we can expect. I think we're going to see some service packages. (laughs) Wow, Max Crystal Ball with a hot take. I would not be surprised if we see some service packages. As you pointed out, there was such a lack of clarity in the meeting about what might be considered part of growth and what might be considered extra to that in terms of other projects. They kept it in there. Even though they said, maybe we shouldn't have service packages, I would not be surprised if we see uh, some service packages. And I think actually Councillor Rutherford suggested she wouldn't even be surprised if we saw amendments to increase the 30% cap. So who knows? This might not be the end of the funding formula. We might see additional changes to it. And certainly, I think we'll see some requests for additional funding for police. You mentioned my crystal ball. Here's the thing. 
We are not going to see any provincial changes for the foreseeable future. We're not all of a sudden going to start funding affordable housing or addiction supports or reopening safe injection sites or any of those kinds of root causes. We're not going to see a huge influx of money to the city from the province for those things. So it's safe to assume that all of the challenges that we're seeing around the opioid epidemic and the lack of affordable housing and other things are going to continue. And if that's the case, then public safety is going to continue to be a challenge. And we're going to see some finger pointing the next time this comes up or they do an annual report about safety where council is going to say, you told us in that meeting about the funding formula that if we approved it, we'd see results. And the police are going to say, it's not that simple. We need more money to do these other things. And we're going to actually not get any farther than we are today. And we're going to continue to see challenges around public safety. I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong, Troy, but I don't see any evidence that we're going to veer from that path as a result of passing this funding formula. So, of course, we can't close on this item without getting to the final elephant in the room, or in this case, the elephant who was not in the room. Um, you talked about everyone giving information to the council, and none of those people were Chief of Police Dale McPhee. I thought this was so striking. It's the very first thing I tweeted about this meeting. The chair of the police commission was late. We didn't start the meeting on time because they wanted to wait for Chairman to get there and whatever. Maybe he had traffic or transit issues. I'm not sure. But the police chief himself was absent. I thought it was really problematic that the delegation for all of these items was administration, the police commission, and the police service, like as if they're a team as opposed to separate entities, which they are. But if you can get past that, then at least you'd think the chief of police would be there. The most substantive conversation for his budget, for the city's budget, for the issue that is top of mind for everyone right now, and he wasn't there. And when asked about it after the meeting, Mayor Sohi essentially said that he was satisfied with the answers that he got, and it wasn't a problem for him that the chief of police wasn't there. So let me just say, it's a problem for me that the chief of police wasn't there for this really, really critical, important meeting. The media did ask the police service uh, about this, and Kreikler did say that the chief had just been traveling, and he tasked him and uh, the COO, Kerry, with tackling this issue because they had some time to prepare, and the chief didn't. I mean, I don't know how much time he needed to prepare. We knew this was coming since October 7th of last year. I think the chief could have been there to answer some questions in person and to talk to counsel about this really important issue. But evidently, he didn't think it was worth his time. Well, of course, this was a long episode, but we're not quite done yet because we missed something off the top, Mac. And I want to talk about this a little bit because after, you know, 230 episodes, a change to the format can be jarring. It can be scary. It can be very spooky. And people can send me emails and tweets saying, what is going on? (laughs) Last episode, I stealthily moved the rapid fire to the back end of the episode. And this was based on a conversation that you, Karen, and I had when we were recording. And basically, it was because I've heard from people that we sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, put out really good episodes that people want to share with their friends. Yeah. For people who are not acclimated to the speaking municipally universe, the first experience that user gets is intro and then some fake news before we get to the topic. Right. And, you know, as a journalism organization, Tapper does take, you know, truth telling pretty seriously. That's not ideal. Yeah. So moving it to the end means we get the best of both worlds. You still get the rapid fire and Troy's very creative jokes every single week. But it also means that you can skip that if you don't 
like it or if you're new to the show, you're not going to hear fake news right off the top. In the spirit of that, here's some fake news in the now at the end rapid fire segment. Edmonton Transit Service has announced Route 31, an expressed weekday bus that will run between the U of A and Ledger Transit Station in the south. The aspirationally named route will actually take four minutes longer at 35 minutes. The bus will run in the new dedicated transit lanes on Terwilliger Drive, but the city assures us that they seek to match their service standard from across the city, where a bus can be 15 minutes early, late, or not arrive at all without any warning. Primetime Donair and Poutine has won the auction for the Donair costume owned by the Alberta government with an ending total of $16,025. The owners of the establishment are hoping the win will bring more attention to Donairs, which they say, quote, are the perfect food for when it's 3 a.m. and you're drunk or high out of your mind. It was 3 a.m. when we started bidding, and we wish we would have bought a Donair at one of our shops instead of from Danielle Smith. Taste of Edmonton has announced a revamped menu for the 2024 festival. The organization conducted extensive surveys and found that to better align with Edmontonian tastes, they will instead be serving a sampling menu of different police issue boot polishes. Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton. Back to that real true news, we think you should start your day with The Pulse. It's our daily news briefing. It tells you everything you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. We're on summer break right now, as you probably know, but it'll be back in your inboxes starting September 5th. You get short, informative updates about what's going on at City Hall, coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and many other things. You also get a little bit of whimsy, maybe not fake news jokes like we do in this show, (laughs) but a moment in history, for example, or, you know, some other things that help you enjoy Edmonton just a little bit more. You can check it out and subscribe at taprootedmonton.ca. And that's all for this week. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.